Hey friends, my name's Stevie Taylor. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. My guest today is Natasha Stewart, singer from Sydney, uh, who spent a fair bit of her childhood um, with her family in West Africa um, until they ended up coming back to Sydney. The passion she developed in her early years for music and dance continued to grow right through her youth um, as she would attend every dance class, drama camp and, and singing lesson her schedule and parents would allow. Um, her first big gig came at the age of 18 years old, singing backups for Christine Anu on a national tour playing to massive audiences, and that was just the beginning. Since then, she's sung with Richard Clapton, Paul Mack, Tina Arena, James Morrison, Cold Chisel, Jimmy Barnes, George Benson, Michael Bolton, and so many more. Things were cruising along nicely until last year she was diagnosed with breast cancer. We talk at length about her stellar career, um, and she also opens up on her battle with the cancer. An incredibly positive and inspiring woman. So ladies and gentlemen, Please put your hands together for Natasha Stewart. Cheers. Well, I think we're rolling. All right. Natasha Stewart. Hi, Stevie. How are you? <laughs> good. Yourself? I'm good. Good. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, we've been trying to put this together for a few months, but... um. You've, I, you've had some shit going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. Have. You've been punching cancer in the face. Yep. That's yep. it's so but thank you for um sorry my dog's no, looking dog's you fine. now. Hello. <laughs> Hello, doggy. So Bootsy! <laughs> Bootsy! Oh my oh, I'm so oh, sorry. No, it's fine. It's all good. Um she she's very excited that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. And I'm excited that you're oh, here. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a it's it's been an unexpected um, six months, yep. uh, but um, yeah, but I managed to keep working through through treatment. And, yeah, that's um, very inspiring. Yeah, I'm on the other side of it now, so that's great. Um, yeah, it's it's good. Still repairing the body, but um, but yeah, I've got. I just noticed I've got two millimeters of eyelashes, so I'm very excited. Oh, about good. That. <laughs> <laughs> right, so you you lost you lost all your hair, everything. Right, okay. Every nose hair. Oh, really? Eyebrows, eyelashes. Yeah. You don't realise as well that nose hair is actually important. <laughs> yeah. It's a filter, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like a pop filter for your nose. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. So all this stuff that you just go, um, yeah, you know, it's – anyway, we'll, we can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. All right. So um, let's roll right back to, to, the, to the early days. Um, so you're born in Australia? Yes, yep. to Australian parents who were originally from Melbourne. Yep. But born in Sydney, yeah. Y- yep. Yeah. And um, you went to Swaziland. Yeah, so Dad um, worked for the International Monetary Fund. So before I was even two years old, 
we moved to, yeah, this tiny, tiny little African country, which is probably the size of greater Sydney. Like if you added in Liverpool and Campbelltown and North and the Shire and all, it's around about the size of greater Sydney. Um, And it's just this tiny little kingdom in um, southern Africa and um, own royal family. and Yeah, yeah. and it it uh, borders Mozambique, doesn't it? Yeah. Mozambique and and South South Africa. Africa, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading something today that, you you know, they've changed the name. Of? Of of, of Swaziland. Really? (laughs) Yep, yep. It's called... Sorry, I just um, unlocked my iPad. Oh, my God, I don't even know this. Very professional. Because I, I wanted to know what I was talking about well, when I came before I came. Yeah, and apparently I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, this is only this is only recent. This is only last year, but it's actually changed its name to Eswatini. And the reason the king changed the name is because when they go abroad, they're always referred to as Switzerland. Ah, so right. so the king has decided to change the name of the country. Wow, you're telling me stuff. S- says Google. Wow, well, you probably look. I mean, when is Google wrong? <laughs> yeah, no, no. yeah, I just, I, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Oh, how that's I, fascinating. How I'm a gonna... king can just decide to change the name of a, wow. of a country. <laughs> that's, well, that shows you the power of the monarchy, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, and um, how old were you when you. So I wasn't, I was not even two when we arrived. Okay. And um, I was five years old when we moved to Australia, which was coming, it was effectively I was moving back, but I, you know, because I wasn't even two when we moved, I had no idea what this Australia was. Right. Um, so it was really, it was very foreign coming back here. And within three months of um, moving to Australia, I had pneumonia and a collapsed lung. Oh, shit. <laughs> so it was quite the shock. It was like a really, it was a, a, an interesting time. And, you, you know, you, people think that, um, sorry, that's my dog with it's, her toy. It's fine. Oh it's a cool, cool toy. Um yeah, you you think that I mean people worry about diseases in Africa, and it's like move to Australia, bang, hospital, collapsed lung, really Man. really sick, almost died <laughs> at five, you know. Right. So um, yeah, I haven't hadn't really thought about that for quite a while. Right. But um, now, what was the um, you surrounded the music? Obviously, African rhythms and yeah. being you know so close to Mozambique. And, and South Africa itself. Yeah, and the Zulu, I think there was a lot of Zulu, um, the the Swazis and Zulu, um, even language um, and music and, and harmonies and rhythm were very, very similar. So, um, and it's one of the, the they even share the, the clicking languages. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, right. Kosa and all of that stuff. Right. So, um, so, yeah, all of those... It's it's really interesting because I lived in West Africa, not jumping ahead too much, but Sorry. I lived in, in West Africa as well um, sort of a few years later. And the the East and South African, um, Southern African harmonies and, and drumming and rhythms are really quite different from the West African style and... Um, there's just something whenever I hear the East African harmonies and the way that 
those rhythms and the the the, the it sort of elicits a, this incredible feeling of home when yeah, I cool. hear it. It's great. It's beautiful. So um, I think that was probably a massive influence on me right. landing, you know, in the career that I've I've taken and, and why I love it so much. Right. Yeah. Do you find yourself um, going back to listen to that music now? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like occasionally I might hear something from Power of One, you know, if I'm some in a shopping centre somewhere and it's, it's yeah, it's really, it, it, it does, it kind of sends me back to my childhood and it's, it's super comforting. And, um, and, yeah, I do, I look for it. I haven't, I, I don't find a lot of, of great stuff, easily accessible. Um, but, in fact, if, any, if anyone wants to send me stuff, that would be great. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I just I adore. And I will occasionally, you know, if if Power of One is on TV or whatever, I just I love watching Lose that stuff. Just, that. Yeah. yeah, I just want to yep. hear. Not necessarily the story. I just want to hear the harmonies. It's just yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Right, right. That's really yeah. cool. Now, were you... Um, were you singing at this stage? Well, no, I was pretty. I was pretty little. I um, I was dancing a lot. Okay, yeah. I was dancing a lot. I wanted to be a ballerina, but my mum thought that my dancing was much more African inspired than um, ballet. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was much much more movement involved than the sort of the gracefulness of the the ballerinas. Right. Um, I wasn't as as. Uh, as tech, it wasn't as technique oriented. Right, was not my style. Um, but yeah, I, the, I think the the vocal stuff must have infused because by the time I was back in Australia, uh, like five six, I was just singing and dancing all the time. Just I was one. I was that annoying kid that was doing a show at inappropriate times. <laughs> Cool. That was a hundred percent me. Look yeah. at me. Look at me. Look at this. Look at yeah, this. Yeah. Listen to this. You know. That's cool. Super annoying. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So you're back in Australia and you're you're singing and you're dancing. Mm. When did you realise that? Oh, I think this is what I want to be doing. Um, well, the funny thing was, I I demanded. Well, demanded. I asked for. That's some diva shit. There. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, Um, and I think anyone that knows me knows that I'm such a shy and retiring type. Um, But, yeah, so I I pretty much was like I want dance lessons, I want to do tap, jazz and ballet and at at first mum was like let's just see how a couple of them go and then and then finally she was she let me do all of it um and then we moved to West Africa and it was when I was in West Africa in another small country called the Gambia um I was now nine and ten and eleven um and I didn't have many Tapes, and we're talking tapes. It was back in the olden yep. days. Um, and Dad would kind of go to a business trip. He'd go to London and, and sort of go into a music store and say, I've got a 10-year-old daughter, What what's the album that she would like? Right. And he would bring back, you know, I remember the first trip I got two Madonna albums. I got... Right. I got... H- had you heard Madonna at that stage? No. Right, yeah, so that music did, wasn't, wasn't no, there. Oh, my God. There wasn't... We didn't have home phones. We didn't have... Right. There was no radio station. There was no TV. There was, like, it was really pretty um, technologically not happening. Right. (laughs) So I had had the tape recorder that I'd borrowed 
either from my parents or my brother. And and I had a couple of mixtapes that had come from Australia and I think they were my brother's. Um, he didn't, he was much older so he didn't live with us in West Africa. So basically I, I had a tape recorder um, to play, you know, some tapes and I had the Pointer Sisters album and I had the Ghostbusters soundtrack. Oh, cool. And then my dad brought over the first two or the first couple of Madonna albums. So I had um, Like a Virgin and um, True Blue. And those four albums were on heavy rotation. And that was pretty much the majority of what I had to listen to and maybe a couple of compilation tapes. Right. Um, So I just absorbed all of that. And I remember looking at one of the compilation tapes and... I had this moment, I vividly remember just being this little girl in West Africa with no radio, no TV, no home phone and just going, I wonder if you could be a singer. I wonder if you could do that as a job. Right. It was, I vividly remember it. I think I might have So it was that epiphany moment. Yep. You had one of those. Yep. 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 And um, I might, yeah, I would have been nine or ten. And, um, I, yeah, I was just looking and then I looked through the mix, like the compilation tape and I, I kind of was totaling up how many females there were right. to work out can girls do this, you know. Right. And um, and that was, I guess that was the start of it. Right. Yeah. And and was there anywhere you could go there to just, no? Nothing. There was, I think... Um, because it was a small group of expatriates over there right. um, and there weren't really, as far as I knew, there weren't any sort of African dance classes or um, community centres where, I mean, there may have been but I didn't know about them. More of a tribal type, tri- Possibly, family I'm, tribal type thing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I, I had piano lessons from the, the Baptist minister. Yep. Um, so he was a really lovely Gambian gentleman who was just so sweet and used to get cranky because he'd be always saying, are you reading the music? And I'm like, yes. And I, <laughs> I was just doing everything by ear. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool. <laughs> um, and then one, one lady who was the mother of someone from the school was doing Scottish dancing lessons. So that was, that was all, we, all we had was Scottish dancing, yeah. which was hilarious. But yeah. Um, but, yeah, then once we moved back to Australia. How old were you then? Uh, 11. 11, yeah. 11, just turned 11. And, um, yeah, and then I begged to go or begged slash demanded to go to the Johnny Young Talent School. Right, cool. So then I was there for for uh, many years learning, you know, singing, dancing, acting, all of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that was like, yes, this is my life. This is what I want to do. It was my happy place. Loved right. it, yeah. Who else, who else that people might know now that, that were there at that? At the same time. Well, Darren Percival was one of the okay. singing teachers. Oh, was he? Right, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, so I actually saw Darren um, the other day and um, so great to see, you know, to be able to even work with someone who was so instrumental in sort of teaching you and, and, um, and giving me a lot of insights into not only how to sing but why to sing, you know, right. the emotion that you need to put into your performance rather than just singing the notes and singing the words. Yep. Um, there was another another um, singer who we used to do a lot of stuff together, Anita Spring, who um, 
who I think she – I'm not sure if she's doing as much stuff these days but she was she was sort of performing around town as well and I think she um, – she may have done a, a, a jazz album a little while ago. She's married to Todd Hardy, who's a trumpet player. So, um, yeah, and then I think there's sort of the main people, like her and I are probably the main people as far as students around that time who who kept going. But then from sister schools, because um, there were a few Johnny Young talent schools around the oh, city right, okay. and, right. and country and, and a lot of people are still sort of in the dance world. Right. Um, dance world and musical theatre. Yeah, right, cool. Yeah. Um, through there, were you going to auditions for bands and stuff oh, like that, or playing gigs? Yeah. So after, I think with dancing school, it kind of got to a point when I was sixteen, and I went, okay, I'm kind of, I've graduated. I'm, I'm definitely one of the oldest people here, and it does get to that point where everyone kind of has to go off and and get out into the wide world, and I just would consume the drum media, which um, was, you oh, know. Oh, the drum media, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that, so good. The free, it was weekly, wasn't it? Was it was weekly, it was free. Yep, free yep. weekly paper. Yep. I would get that. And, and it used to be in these things called, uh, what are they called? Record stores. Yes, I yeah, remember Remember those, those. things? Yeah. yeah. I, I used to love record stores <laughs> yeah. going up and going, when's the new such and such album coming yeah. out? When I first moved to, to Australia from New Zealand, um, the first first band that I found was in the classifieds in the back of drum media. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think the band after that was was also in the back of the yeah. classifieds, you know. It was cool, man. Oh, I would literally go like I would just go every week, go to the classifieds and I would call every single ad that I was remotely Oh, right. Like uh, like anything that I thought I would be remotely okay for. Cool. So I auditioned for cover band after cover band. I cannot tell you how many free vocal sessions I did in studios. But and it, it, there oh, were, were they advertising for yeah, to come they, in and do a session and not get paid? Well, no, it was, okay. it was much – it wasn't – no, that thank God it wasn't that. Yep. It was much more, hey, I've got a track – you know, it was, right, it, was gotcha. it was back when people were still getting signed to okay, record deals. Right, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> back again, back in the back olden in those days. days yeah. <laughs> and so it'd be so and so wants a singer for the demo, and um, so I would do. I would go in, and and I'm actually really glad I cut my teeth that way in the studio because, yep. um, I mean, none of those tracks went anywhere. But it was invaluable as far as getting experience in the studio. Yes, yes. I suddenly learnt how, oh, we double vocal takes. We, this is how, how we record harmonies. We, we block this all up and it goes like this. And I got my microphone technique and I mm. understood how to work in the studio, how to, you know, record and do all of that stuff. So um, even though – but – Again, you know, they were original projects essentially, most of them. Um, I never really did anything. I wasn't doing jingles or anything for free. Right, gotcha. Uh, so it wasn't re- I wasn't really being taken advantage okay, of as cool. such. Good. So that, that's, that's, that's good. good good and important. Um, but it was really helpful as far as my learning curve in the music industry and studio work. 
And um, all of the covers bands, I must say, oh, my God, I just, I learnt how, I learnt Sydney, you know, as far as driving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'd be doing an audition in Kingsgrove and then yep. I'd be in Canterbury and yep. then I'd be, you know, down south and north and e- everywhere. I learnt right. every rehearsal studio. Um, right, and, and not... Not getting gigs. Not, not getting, getting the gigs. Gig. Not getting gigs. And then finally, I a band called Baby Loves to Cha Cha hired me, and it was one of those moments where I went, Ah, oh, thank God I did not get one of those other bands. Right. Okay. Because if I hadn't gotten Baby Loves to Cha Cha, I wouldn't have met all of the people who were sort of instrumental in being not only my peers but. People who then it led to other gigs. Right, and who are some of those people? Ah, uh, well, um, so in Baby Loves to Cha Cha, first um, Tony Zvetkovsky, who produced my first EP, mm-hmm. and um, he did uh, he recorded a lot of. He used to work for Sony, doing all kinds of artists. I think he did stuff for Human Nature as well, um, and. Um, uh, Dennis and Darren uh, went back at when it was Kalen. Mm-hmm. Um, he did stuff with them as well. And um, then the when he left Baby Loves to Cha Cha, Serge Dimitrijevic um, came in and he is now the guitarist for Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and I met Chris Camzellas at my first gig. Yep. He was just, he just came down to hang out. Um, and then, you know, through Chris, I got the Richard Clapton gig. And right, so cool. it was just, it was just actually a really wonderful. Dario Bortolin was, would fill in for the band as well. And, you know, he plays with baby animals mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so it was, it was so great that I mean, you know, it is. It does kind of come down to that thing that I really do think things do happen for a reason. Yeah, awesome. And I thank God for every one of those rejections from the other ten covers bands that I auditioned for that I wasn't the right fit. Thank yep. God, <laughs> thank God, because I ended up where I was supposed to be. Good stuff. And how long were you, were you with? Baby loves to Chacha. I think I was with them for probably maybe four years, <laughs> and then I floated around. I think I, I was in another covers band for maybe a couple of years after that, and then I just freelanced for a while. And okay. I was by this stage, I was working with. Um, oh, actually, I I joined. It was when I joined a band called Funkstar <laughs> with. Um, yeah, Andre, I remember Funkstar. Yeah, yeah, Andre Kamen and <laughs> I we, we worked together for many years, and um, and it was around that time, which I think was two thousand that I then started with Richard Clapton as well. So right. so that was kind of my um, – that was a bit of a turning point, I think, around, around yeah, 2000, yeah. Right. In your bio you had um, Christina New when oh, you are 18, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy actually. I, I was doing Christine Anu's gig before I even did Baby Loves to Charge. Oh, right, okay. And funnily enough, tagging back, it was Anita Spring from Dancing School who got me that gig. I was filling right. in for her because she worked with Christine on a musical. So she was Christine's um, regular backing singer and then there were some gigs she couldn't do and, and I was first call. So That's great. Yeah. And what stage in Christine Anu's career was that? That was the in big. The big- Big, Big period. Mile and home type. Absolutely. Yep. It was yep. that, that first album. So one of the gigs I did was an acoustic gig with just her and the guitarist and it was at the Mullaney Festival, which is now Woodford, and that was 14,000 people at a, you know, amphitheatre. Shit. Yeah, so that was that was me at 18. I think yeah. I might have just turned 19. What, what are your memories of that? Oh, the feelings? Ah, oh, it was incredible. It was I, – I was a pretty lost – 
soul at that point. I think just emotionally, you know, just just not knowing what I was doing or where I was going, as I think many 18, 19-year-olds can feel. Um, but I, I definitely remember... Um, I just remember being side stage and there was a, I think, second or third song, Christine sang Aboriginal Woman and I, I would go off for that song and I just remember looking at out at the crowd and just the, because it was on, literally on the side of a hill and just seeing the lights of the, the like little candles here and there and just the thousands of people. And then um, Simo, who was doing staging, he was like, oh, check this out. And like I walked a little bit further around and just the crowd that I thought it was actually instead of being sort of 150 degrees of crowd, it was 180 right. <laughs> degrees and it was just as as far as you could say. Right. So that was incredible. Yeah. And, yeah, Christine was, I mean, she, yeah, it, she was just at her peak and singing. I mean, she sings beautifully but <laughs> she was, I remember that particular night just being dumbfounded at, you know, the whole experience, the crowd, her, her connection to the music and the way she was singing and, yeah, it was pretty special. That's cool because I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I, I don't remember... When I was eighteen, nineteen, having any sort of feelings like that, if I if I did a big gig, it was like oh, I did the gig, and you know, and it's, yeah. it's cool that you're able to to um, yeah take the time to take it all in back then. Yeah, being, being so young, you know. Yeah, a hundred percent. And even I think it was kind of a blessing to have that moment off stage because that was when I really took it in because yeah. I can vividly see it now. Yeah, right. You know, I've got that. It's locked in my memory. Yeah, and then yeah. you chase that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. All right, so um, we skip back. So let's pop back forward again. Richard yep. Clapton. Yep. Yep. Oh, my God. So uh, Richard Clapton, I was um, – Chris Camzellis actually brought Richard to a gig that I was doing and it happened to be my 24th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Richard needed a, a, a new singer. I think I'd done – I had actually done a midday show performance with him uh, f- a, a, maybe a few months before and um, – and, and was that as a, se- a session singer? Yeah, right. just he needed – he was between singers. He hadn't hired anyone yet and um, so I think he was kind of try- maybe trying out a few people and I did that session and then um, – yeah, he came down to this gig that I – or Chris dragged him down to this gig that I was doing. And, um, yeah, the rest is history. I worked with Richard the other weekend. So yeah, that's cool. That's a long time and he hasn't got rid of me yet. Yeah, and, and that's um, <laughs> tours as well as albums? Uh, yeah, I've yeah. only – I think I've only sung on – a couple. I've done one studio album and a live album of his, uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a, a long and very one of the most consistent gigs of my life. That's cool. Yeah, That's and great. he's just. I mean, that band. It's such a family. It's a beautiful, beautiful unit. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and does he does he play? Um, all year round or is he sort of seasonal? He's a little bit seasonal. We've yep. just been out on the Red Hot Summer tour. Oh, yeah, um, oh, yeah out on that. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah. Awesome. So that was really cool. I didn't do all of it but I did do the last couple of weekends. Right, cool. Um, so Richard usually does either – it's normally um, he'll do Day on the Green festivals or um, the Red Hot Summer is the first time he's done it this year and he normally does one 
big gig like either at the Enmore Theatre or State Theatre per year and um, and then just sort of a smattering of of um, other gigs. He does a lot of acoustic stuff, a few right. private party things and then he'll do, you know, a few solid big bigger gigs. He'll do, you know, a big one in Melbourne and, and Brizzy and, and Sydney, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And you, you did some stuff with Paul Mack also? Yes, I did. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, 2000, 2001, I toured with him a lot, yeah, oh, yeah. and that was amazing. Paul is, his ears and his musical ability is just phenomenal. Yeah, that, that album he did. Um, the uh, Above the Clouds? Or I think the, that's what it's called. Yeah, I think Abby, Abby Dobson's Abby singing on it. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was lucky enough to tour a lot of that. Abby right. would be on Abby Peter Morris, um, and then occasional other guest singers would come in, and um, yeah, I I did a lot of shows with him, and cool. it was just it was so wonderful. Yeah, yeah it seems like a cool cool dude, oh, trippy. So he's so cool. He's so. And I've I've got to work with him in the studio a bunch of times as well, awesome. and um, he's just his ears are out of this world, right? Yeah, right. and he he will see. You know, there would there'd be a section of five backing vocalists, and if one person was a tiny bit out, you just get this like look over his shoulder oh, with that, the that evil guy. eye, and I'd be like, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's just so I, – I love that because I'm a real pitch Nazi as well. Okay, so, that's, that's cool. Yeah, I, I thrive on I thrive on that kind of – not everyone does, but – Sure. Yeah, because I'm mm. always like, I, I can do better or I'm yeah. I'm in tune or, what you know, I want these, to I th- I'm, You know, I'm sure these days there's a lot of that, oh, we'll just fix it in post. Yeah, no, I hate that. Right. I hate that. I've even – I um, sang on Kerry Buchanan's album a few years ago and we were in the studio and he said, oh, don't, don't worry, I tune everything. And I'm like, nope, I, I want to sing it right. I, no, no crappy takes. I'm getting it right. And, and he did. He messaged me after and he said, yeah, I didn't tune anything. I was like, yes. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> anyway, back to. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, we're around 2000. Um, yeah. Oh, so we've gone back to Paul Mac. Yes. Yep. Um, what year was Richard Clapton, sorry? So Richard, yeah, I started with Richard around 2000. And I okay. Think, and then I think Paul Mack probably started around 2001. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, um, yeah, oh, this is great. Memory lane. Cool. That's what, <laughs> what it's all about, man. <laughs> yeah, so um, toured with Paul uh, quite a bit around that. So it was kind of splitting. I do remember Paul getting upset or just like not upset but just kind of giving me a bit of a dig, you know, if I'd have to choose between Richard Clapton and Paul. Oh, right, okay. Um, so because, you know, artists can get a bit possessive over you. Right, can they? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is nice, you know. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, yeah, I really enjoyed all of that, you know. Yep. So yeah, I can't remember where I went after Paul. It just all unfolded. Um, you did some TV performances with Kelly Osbourne and and Lionel Richie. Yeah. Right. Those... Tell us about that. That's a trip. Well, again, these are. So many things in my career have just come so out of the blue. But I guess at the same time they're not out of the blue because it's – I think the the one thing I've really prided myself on is no matter what the gig, no matter where it is, give 100%. 
And it's not even that I think that maybe down the track something could, you know, come from that. But I think when people see you and you may not know who they are while you're just doing a little gig in a little venue in a little pub somewhere, yep. but you do a good job and you, you show up and... Bootsy! <laughs> Sorry. She's just so excited. It's fine. She's excited you're here. It's fine. Um, I think it's that... The, the thing is that there have been these little gigs that I've done and then I get a call and it feels like it's completely out of the blue and it'll be a publicist friend of the guitarist that I do the Sunday gig with. And so with, uh, with this call um, for... So I, I got this call to do a, a gig singing back up with Lionel Richie and it was through Peter Northcote and... Um, yeah, a publicist, Rena Ferris, who I now know really well and absolutely adore. Um, but, yeah, it was just that random call. Lionel's going to be here for a day doing press and he's going to need a singer on the midday show with Carrie ann and, and another sports show and, uh, yeah, so just spent the day bouncing around a few different studios and TV things and, oh, my God, what an incredible man he is. Yeah, right. We, as a person, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, even obviously as a singer as of well. Of course, of course. But, um, yeah, you know, we heard him get asked the exact same questions about Nicole and Paris were doing The Simple Life. Oh, was that time, yeah, right, okay. Time. All right. And he answered every single question that we heard him get asked over and over again as if it was the first time he'd ever heard that question. That's cool, professional. Yep, and he was beautiful and he just gave, whenever he spoke to you, it was like you were the only person in the world in the world, the only person in the room who was 100% focused on you. So that was great. And then the other out of the blue was can you do backing vocals for Kelly Osbourne because the Osbournes are coming out to host the first MTV Video Music Awards here. And, yeah, so all of a sudden I'm working with um, my other very good friend, Carmen Smith. Um, we were sort of the imports um, and Kelly brought out... Carmen her. sings for Guy now, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. exactly, okay. exactly. So Carmen and Carmen and I did a lot of work, which um, we'll probably get to sure. after, yep. <laughs> after this one. Good. But, yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, singing and dancing um, for as Kelly... Kelly's backing um, backing dancers slash singers. It was a bit like Madonna back in the olden days with right. the, the two BV singer dancers. Right. And um, and while we were doing that, you know, the getting ready for the show, I the makeup artist kind of saw my very long hair, which was down to my waist at that point, and he kind of said, "Oh, look, I want to just start on your hair now." Grabbed me, sat me down. It's just me. There's a chair next to me and me and mirror in front of us. And then next to me sits Ozzy Osbourne. No way. Way. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I I was just sitting there. That's that's another one of those experiences where you just go, what the fuck is happening, (laughs) you know? I'm sitting in a chair facing a mirror. Ozzy is right next to me. We're both facing the mirror. We're looking at each other and we're just having a conversation and I'm like, how is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, my God, he 
For the Prince of Darkness, he <laughs> is one of the lightest people right. I have ever met. He's so full of light and energy and it was really funny. He was very, he was a little bit shuffly and quiet backstage but the moment that he had to turn on the Aussiness, man, it just, it just all comes forth and is just, he's incredible. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's Wonderful really cool. man. Right. Awesome. So lucky. I can't believe that I met him and yeah, got to a, have a chat with him. That's a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And then after the... Yeah, so yeah. then then um, Carmen and I did a lot of work together. So we worked, uh, we did a lot of... Carmen, to, obviously, as you said, she's she tours with Guy and has done for many, many years. But uh, the first... Uh, gigs that she and I both did with Guy were around, I think, to, around that same 2004-5 period and it was all of the promo. I did all the promo with Carmen for the Out With My Baby single and just before he started his tour. And then um, a couple of years after that, uh, Carmen and I again were singing back up for Jess Malboy. So we spent a, a bunch of time together touring with Jess as well and that was a lot of fun because Carmen... Carmen's a great dancer and I, I like to think that I'm a good dancer, <laughs> whether I am or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we would just, just for fun, we would we would have choreography going as well, um, as well as doing the backing vocals. So, yeah, it was, it was also, always awesome working with her. That's great. Yeah. Cool. Um, in around 2006, you released your first EP. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so I released my first EP in, yeah, in 2006. I actually produced, funnily enough, with um, Richie Vez who plays bass for Diesel and who's an incredible songwriter and producer and he's married to Carmen, funnily enough. Okay, right, cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was a, a good, it was, a, I was just really happy to kind of get, get a sort of a first taste of like a new sound for myself. I had recorded sort of some poppy stuff when I wanted to be sort of a Britney Spears slash NSYNC slash that that period that, that of music, period, yep. trying to land a record deal, um, you know, naive and young and 20 or something. Any, could just go slight, yeah. roll back a little bit. Was there any sort of bites on that stuff? Do you know what? There actually, there was, I got a massive bite that was shut down. Um, so John Woodruff, who was Savage Garden's manager, okay. uh, he, he, he was interested and he set me up with a producer and the, every time I would speak to this producer and we would organise a session because it was just basically about getting me better songs or the right songs mm-hmm. to then, you know, present to a, a record company and get a deal. And we would book in a session for 11 o'clock and I, on a Monday or whatever and I would turn up at the studio and that producer's business manager would come out and tell me, oh, no, I've cancelled the, the session because you're not signed and I'm like, but I've got one of the most powerful managers in Australia backing me and we just want songs. And it just happened over and over and oh. over again. There were about four sessions and this producer, he, the producer was into it he, and his business partner cancelled every single session. So that was pretty devastating. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I, I definitely took quite the hit. So I guess that's why it took a while for me to kind of go, okay, I've, I've got to do this all, all myself, you know. Okay. And, um, uh, you know, find, I fund it myself. Yep. 
uh, which I did. And, um, yeah, so the first EP. And it was coming off the back, funnily enough, I just toured with Delta Goodrum. So I had, I think that was 2000, was that 2005? 2005, that I toured yeah. with her, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was another massive tour around Australia and she was kind of doing, you know, the Rod Lavers and Acer and all of those venues. And, um, yeah, I guess I had enough money after that to kind of put it into my EP and it felt good to actually do my own thing. And, um, yeah, so I did my EP launch at the basement, uh, sold out from what I remember. And, um, yeah, it was – I think I sold a couple hundred CDs that night too, which is back when CDs were – were being With, bought and yeah. we had we actually had CD players so right. yep. yeah so that was that was a pretty special night because it's just that undertaking as well that you don't know if you can put on a show and if anyone's going to come and support your original music. So, um, yeah, I had a, I got a cast of thousands at my, um, at my EP launch as well. I had many of the people that I've mentioned playing um, yep. and, yeah, it was, it was a great night. That's cool. And did that EP launch or did the EP at all gather any sort of traction? Not really. Uh, I think... I think the hardest thing about launching this and the same goes today and it certainly went back then, um, the the easy part, which we know is not easy, is actually getting the album together. And then if you – the hard work starts once the album is done. So for me I put all of the effort into the, the recording and right. getting it right and, um, and then didn't have as much follow-through because I think it's one of those things that – it's hard to sacrifice money and time and energy and knockbacks, just constant knockbacks and knockbacks and knockbacks um, until you can kind of, you know, start making some money from original music. And I really admire all of the people with the tenacity to to stay that course and to really you know, go hard. And I I think for me, life was a little bit too cushy. I was working with these artists. I was making money, singing covers, and I would have had to have given up that good life to really pursue the music, you know, the original music. And the other thing for me was I was spoilt with the guys in my band because I had these, you know, session guys, my favourite top-of-shelf players, and they'll do a couple of favours for you for sort of mates' rates. Yep. But you can't expect these no, no, guys no. to go out on the road or do dodgy little venues. Not dodgy, oh, but, you know, course. little venues. Yeah. yeah. So so um, I guess for me it was more about just getting getting that first step done and then and then I did work on an album. So I was always going to continue on with the original music uh, but I don't know if I ever really believed that I would get signed as such. And it was also just getting harder and harder. I think from that EP, I realised that I kind of was, I was too alternative at that stage for the pop world. Right. But I wasn't alternative enough. I wasn't indie enough. Right. For, what, was, what was the music around it was that kind stage? Of, it was kind of a little bit Lenny Kravitzy influenced. So it was kind of pop rock. Um, Nick Acosta would probably be like a good um, kind of idea of the style of music. It was just a, a funky, rocky kind of thing. Right. And what was what was going on around that time? What kind of music? Uh, let what, me think. What were you competing with? 
Well, I think it was Triple J Indie vibes. Okay. okay. So that real indie vibe sort yep. of around 2006, 2007, and, um, which I think continues on although it's kind of getting a little bit, the lines are getting more blurred with totally. the indie now. Um, and then it was just like uh, sort of, I don't know, even things like Bado or, okay. you know, and Delta okay. for sure. Okay. Like it was that like a real pop sound or a real indie sound and I kind of lay in, in between. Um, so it was it was kind of a little bit no man's land. I was I was not pop enough to get signed and I was not indie enough for Triple J to play me. So so I was kind of just in the middle. Right, cool. Yeah. Um, and so you were kind of you were you were cool with that? You were cool with letting that go? Yeah, I since you were living sort of a you're pretty happy with the, the gigs that you're playing and Yeah, I think honestly it took me until um I think the the time that I really let the original music kind of not go because I, I still, you know, I, I, I think I've probably got another album in me for sure. Awesome. And I'll, I'll put that out at some point and get, get the, or whether I put it out an album or do tracks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, so I finished an al- a full length album in 2012 and I, got a US manager um, who was kind of helping me just do some showcases and I went I went over to the States and the... Oh, oh sh- showcases in the States? Yeah. Right. And um, so I did some gigs in New York. I did a showcase in Nashville and really essentially that manager kind of ran away with three and a half grand of mine and didn't really do anything. And, you know, I mean, look, in the scheme of things, three and a half grand is nothing. But at that stage, it, it, I mean, it's, it was a lot of money. That's a lot of it money, man. a <laughs> lot of money. And, um, and I was pretty heartbroken from that. And I, also the showcase that I did in Nashville was I kind of got to the end of the showcase and it was I had a slick band. I had these awesome, awesome guys that um, Jared Neal, an Australian um, drummer. drummer. Yep. Yeah, yep. exactly. Um, so he helped me put that band together and he played with me as well. And um, we nailed that showcase and I saw and heard some of the other bands and it was like by far slick outfit, good songs, well, you know, I felt that they certainly were and the band smashed it. It was great. Um, had the product going, had had the had the look, I had the, you know, we'd, we'd spent a lot of time and money getting the, the package, you know, quote unquote, together. Um, and, and, and obviously invested money. I had to pay to be in the showcase. I had to hire the band. I had to hire the rehearsal studio, all of that stuff. So... It was it was again another big investment along with the three and a half grand for the manager who basically did nothing, and got to the end of the showcase and one of the guys came up to me from the panel and he was like, oh, that was really really great, blah blah blah, and what I realised as he kept talking was all that they were doing was pitching their own wares to the artists and going. He he was just saying, here's my card and and I think that we could actually re-record your songs and take them in this direction and make them a little bit more Motown and this and that and the other. And then I, I left and I went, oh, my God, that was just a big sham of a showcase. It wasn't even – they weren't really offering, you know, a, a prize as such. Like it, there was supposed to be recording deal and blah, blah, blah. So they were wanting you – to, to come to them and pay them, them to a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, I kind of, 
after that was the point. So I'd done the album. Uh, I went to, you know, the States and uh, came home and sort of just kind of felt pretty broken by by the knocks and the knockbacks and the I felt financially exhausted, emotionally exhausted. And, um, yeah, I took a break from original music after that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I really, I did, I pushed pretty hard that year. Um, maybe, you know, maybe not the right avenues and certainly I was really naive. I think, I think a lot of artists can can get sidetracked by assuming that someone has good intentions and if someone says, oh, you know, you should be lucky to be doing this or you're lucky that I'm paying attention or you're lucky that it's like, well, yeah, I'm, 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 I think that whole experience taught me more than anything to stand up for myself, to question things and um, if you're paying money, you're not lucky that that person's taking an interest in you. You're the boss, man. Exactly. <laughs> You're exactly. the boss. Exactly. So, so my naivety has certainly, um, you know, it was. It, there's been a few rough lessons in in my career, sure. but but I think each of them has definitely made me stronger. And um, and I've le- I've always taken the lesson and gone right. Okay, never again is that happening. Good stuff. Yeah. Yep. Now, how did you get the uh, Onto the Razzle Dazzle soundtrack. Ah, okay. So, so I have worked a lot with uh, Joseph Calderazzo, who I don't know if you know. Um, he, he does the Led Zeppelin. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 I don't know him personally, but I, yeah. Yep. So I got a random, uh, a random call from him. It was actually again through because I was working regularly with Pete Northcote on Sundays at um, at the Bridge Hotel and Lloyd G, the drummer, was working with Joseph and Joseph was looking for someone for a Pink Floyd show and he rang me up and I, I knew of him but had never worked with him and he said, I'm doing this Pink Floyd show and I need someone to sing a couple of songs and he said, one song doesn't actually have any lyrics in it, it's just kind of like an ad libby thing and I was like, great, no lyrics to learn, amazing. The song was Great Gig in the Sky. Yeah, I know the one, it's got yeah. that, that oh, wild. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, if yeah. I had known what that song was before I signed up for it, I don't know whether <laughs> I would have done it and anyone yeah. who wants to, you know, check it out on YouTube and there's a whole, uh, there's a classic albums that they go into that as well but it's just this epic, yeah, yeah. epic vocal piece and, um, yeah. Where so, she almost sounds in pain, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. It's I mean, heavy, man. Yeah, they talk, mm. they talk on the documentary, on the classic albums, they say they told this woman to just go in and imagine fire and brimstone oh, and, right. like, oh, yeah, it's, it's full on so it's this epic piece. Um, um, but I I did that show and on that show um, was Steve Balby of Noiseworks and um, and uh, Electric Hippies fame and his own projects. And I remember I, I came off stage having done that song for the first time at the basement and I came off stage and I just remember Steve looked at me and he goes, well, you nailed that chicken to the wall. <laughs> 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 and um, and that started this kind of 
like magical little relationship with um, Steve Balby who I just adore mm. so much. He's another brilliant pe- person to have been able to work with and he ended up getting me in the studio for various things that he was doing and then he did the soundtrack for this film Razzle Dazzle which right. is a mockumentary about um, dancing schools which is just, I mean, it couldn't be more up my alley. Like it's a mockumentary, it's about dancing schools I was so in, ensconced in dancing school land. Yep. And so Steve was like, oh, you know, it's, I, want, I want to do a remake of this song, Everybody's Free. And I was like, Rosella, oh, my God, I've got the 12-inch, which I do. I, <laughs> you know, when I was 12 I would put that 12-inch on and sing and dance around the house to it. And um, so he got me to record that and a new version of Flashdance, um, which, again, he was like, do you need a copy of that? And I'm like, dude, I've <laughs> no. Come on, come on. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't even need the lyrics. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> Been preparing for that for all my all life. All my life, yeah. Yeah, mm. so um, that was just such a joy. And then it was so great. I got to um, work with these incredible dancers sort of that, that were in the movie mm. um, promoting the, the film and we went, we did, I was back doing shopping centre shows right. with the girls cool. and we did the midday show with Kerry Ann again. Right. I seem to have done the midday show a lot. Yep. Um, and, um, but I tell you what, watching that movie at the premiere at, um, you know, with with all of the audience and then hearing sort of the climax of the movie and then hearing your voice at this sort of, you know, moment um, uh, of the of the movie that is so intense. It was just, it was pretty great. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a really, you know, it's another like moment where you just go, wow, what a... What a trip. Yeah. How lucky. That's, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Now, you spent a fair bit of time with uh, Tina Arena. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So about what time did that start? Around that time? Yeah. No, uh, Tina, I got a call. Uh, I remember Paul Gray called me a- at the end of 2009 and he he said I'd worked with Paul on and off. Actually, the very first time I worked with Paul and this, I mean, this is where it all comes around. The first time I did a gig with him was was with Christine Anu when I was oh, right, 19, okay. right. you know. So we were both filling in at that, at that stage. Right. And, yeah. Paul called me and he said, hey, how are you placed in January um, of 2009? And I said, oh, I think I'm free. I, 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 can, I can be free. Like for what, what do you need me for? Um, and, um, yeah, he said, look, leave it with me, but there might, there might be something. There might be something and it might be Tina Arena. And I was like, I'm so free. I'm 100% free. <laughs> and, um, yeah, then he called me again and, and um, yeah, I, I got this gig with Tina Arena and um, it was a, a, a run of dates. They were down the green through sort of January, February of 2009, I think. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was one of those things where I think every gig that I've gone into, I'm like, you just enjoy it. Enjoy it for however long it lasts, right? And it might be this one tour and that's it. So you just, you just lap it up. You yep. enjoy it as much as possible. And um, that turned into seven years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I... Um, 
I remember the first the first rehearsal with Tina as well. Um, a couple of the guys were like, "Look, she's very particular, and and don't you know, don't freak out. Like she'll tell you exactly what she wants, and she'll you know, just just basically when she tells you things, don't freak out. Just take it on board and and um, and you know, do what she says. It's good to get that heads up. Oh, totally, mm. totally. So, but again. I was so ready for that gig because right. even when I was doing all my recordings, like I, the way that I would warm up as I was heading to to the studio to record my originals, I would sing Tina Arena songs, you know, because that's if I could sing a Tina Arena song in the car, I would be ready to record. So, so I was I was ready for that gig and. Um, so the boys had kind of clued me up and were like, don't worry and just, just you know, it'll be fine but she'll critique you a lot. And um, she came in and um, first of all, when she started singing, I thought that Paul had triggered track because what I could hear coming out of the speakers sounded like track but it wasn't. It was Tina live in the right. just sounding like the record. Right. Just amazing to hear that and just go, oh, my God, you're just doing that. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I think one uh, – it might have been Sorrento Moon might have been one of the first tracks that we did. And so we sang it through, got to the end of Sorrento and Tina looked at me and she goes, okay, uh, let's do – and we just went to the next song and I was like, okay. I'm I'm doing the right thing, you awesome. know. I'm doing it. It's it, I've I've prepped. Yeah. I knew my I knew my shit and um and just listened and made sure I was blending and it was just um yeah I was just so ready for that gig and so happy to be there that it, it all worked out. Cool. So yeah, it was absolute. Oh my god, singing with her, what a joy! Right. So always, always, always came off the road with her, a better singer. Always. That's cool. Always, yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. Now, so, so are you, are you still, are you finished up with her now? Yep. For, yeah, for the moment. For the um, moment, yep. Yeah, she's, uh, well, she's doing a Vita at the moment. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, yep. and, um, and I didn't do the last tour. She had a Melbourne-based band for the last tour. Um, and unfortunately I really wanted to get to see the show but I was working um, each of the Sydney dates, which was a bummer because I would have loved to have seen it and, um, and uh, Tina and I still chat, you know. Um, which is really nice. So, and I saw, I went and saw her in Evita and had a chat backstage as well. She was just, oh, smashed that as well. Great. Yeah, she's yeah. incredible in that. It, it, anyone who can go and check it out, in, if if you're in Melbourne, it's well worth seeing. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Now, what what else was sort of happening around that around that time? While I was doing Tina, I ended up landing in the band that I am in now, which is now called Dirty Cash, but it was Radio City Cats at the time. And um, again, that was one of those bands where it's a, it's a covers band and um, my good friend Melinda Jackson was off doing, it was her band, and she was off doing uh, Rogue Traders. So I thought I was just on borrowed time. Oh, Melinda Jackson. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I've effectively completely stolen her gig. Awesome. <laughs> right. But you know, I, I started working with those guys, and um, and they were all, all have a band called King Farouk, um, which was still sort of kind of happening at the time, and or it had just they'd just finished 
uh, touring and they were kind of having a break. So um, I just thought I was going to be filling in for six months, 12 months, maybe 18 months and uh, I think we're now in our 10th year. <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Which is bananas. Yeah, yeah and how, how, how often are you guys playing? Yeah, well, pretty much... We try and do two a week at least. Okay, cool. So um, that's been pretty consistent. It's It has fallen off a little bit in the last couple of months just because someone, i.e. me, has, <laughs> has dropped the ball a little bit. So, um, But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be back gigging, you know, at least we're, we're pretty much twice a week and, um, and hoping that I can get that that back into uh, full swing once once my health is 100%. Good stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I did I did two gigs back to back last week as well, but anyway, that's, right. yeah. So yep. and other gigs apart from that, what else were I doing concurrently with Tina? I think it was mainly mainly Tina. Right. Unless you've got my resume there. I, yeah, I'm, yeah, probably, I, I, I'm probably missing stuff. I get confused. Yeah, no, well, there's, there's a lot of you've done a lot of stuff. Cultures or Jimmy Barnes. Ah, yeah. So, so I think it was, I think it was last year was the first Cold Chisel gigs, mm-hmm. um, and Mahalia. So Mahalia Barnes, Jimmy's daughter, and I have known each other for, for you know, fifteen years or so. Because again, you know, working with Richard, um, so many of my early gigs with him and, and just all of the festival gigs that we do, it's it's so frequently Richard Clapton, Diesel, Jimmy Barnes. So um, so Mahalia and I have known each other for so long and we just never, I think because our registers, we sing in a similar kind of high register. Right. So knowing each other and knowing each other is really great but never kind of working together for whatever reason. Right. And then... Because Mahalia has been out doing Joe Bonamassa tours and always the cold chisel backing vocal section was um, Jade McRae, Mahalia and Juanita Tippins. And um, with either two, at least two of those girls are overseas with Joe at any one time. So when cold chisel want to do their gigs, they've lost you know, potentially half, you know, two-thirds of their section. So Mahalia rang me and she's like, would you be interested? And I'm like, dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Let me check my diary. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm free. I'm yeah. free for cold chisel. Yeah. So um, that was, uh, I mean, look, to, uh, here's another completely just pinch yourself moment that oh, on stage with cold chisel, mm. it's just like, oh, my God, th- yeah. these bloody legends. Yep. And... Um, yeah, I, I that's just there's been what was the first the, I think the first gig I did with them was in Tasmania and then we did Newcastle and and there's been sort of it's just been like a, sort of a warm up show and a and a, a really big gig um and I've done that a few times but oh that band and those guys mm. and the music and the crowd and it's just it's just you know, incredible piece of Australian history. Yeah, that, yeah, that Time, is, timeless stuff. Yeah, yeah. and they yep. are as good now as they have ever been. Yeah. Like really. it's And um, toward the end, oh, no, sorry, the beginning of last year we, we played a, uh, a show at the Enmore Theatre and they went as the Barking Spiders, which was their kind of like their, their secret band name right. when they were doing warm-up shows. And 
to see or to to be on stage with Cold Chisel at the Enmore, it was like the biggest pub show. They pulled out all the seats of, at the Enmore Theatre and just, you know, it was just watching from our position on stage and I'm looking and Jimmy's got his arm around Mossy as they're singing together and I'm just like, oh, the amount of times that I've seen that and I'm, look, I'm looking straight at it from from behind on stage, yep. just yep. surreal. So, yep. yeah, and all those guys. And funnily enough, um, Phil Small, the bass player, um, I I used to – so my – sorry, this I'm skipping around no, no, all please. over it's the fine. place. The, no props. Um, all kinds of tangents. But my fallback on career, just in case the whole singing thing didn't work out, yeah. um, I used to teach aerobics and I used to teach at a little gym in Balmain and um, Phil Small used to go – and, and in fact still does go to that gym. Right, okay. And his wife used to do my step classes. Oh, cool. So, and Phil did a couple of them as well. And, um, yeah, so I'd, I've kind of known him for a really long time as well but through, you know, a kind of a, a, a different channel. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was kind of, it's it's just hilarious to now just go, oh, my God, now I get to sing in your band, you yeah. know, on occasion. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, I've had a lot of, a lot of really crazy incredible things of, again, you know, the out of the blue phone call last year as well. I got the out of the blue phone call going, hey, I don't know if this is going to come off but there might be a Boy George gig. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. And then not getting my hopes up but just going, how amazing would that be? Yeah. Like that would just – and just kind of going, you know, even just the fact that there's the potential and you've been called for that is great. Yeah. Um, but the incredible thing was it ended up coming off and um, yeah. I not only did a gig with Boy George but I sang Purple Rain as a duet with him. Oh, cool. Oh, just, you know – and. Again, this is this little girl living in West Africa wondering if you can do this as a job. And I just, I flash back to that little girl yep. all the time and yep. just go, if you had told her that you, this is going to happen, there's no way. Yeah, that's cool. There's no way she would have believed that. Really living the dream, eh? Oh, so much. Even if it's just these little fleeting, like those those little moments that happen yep. that just yep. keep fueling, you know, every other weekend of yep. wherever you may be. Yeah. Yeah. And some others on the list here, like Leo Sayer. Oh, yeah, I can't believe da- I forgot him. <laughs> David, David Campbell. Yep. And Anthony Collier, Tim Campbell. Yep. Oh, and the most impressive for me. Yes. Michael Bolton. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that, okay, so that, here's another story. So well, I, We can talk about, talk about the other yeah. guys as well, but, yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's Oh, Let's trip. go to the Michael Bolton thing. So, okay. so um, last year I had a little break in L.A. because I, I, I have been for a couple of years kind of planning to get a visa and, and just because for me the, the big dream that I still have is I want to do a U.S. tour. I would love if I could go over there and get my working visa and, and just audition for different acts and see if I can't land a backing vocal yep. gig, you yep. know. Yep. It might happen, it may never happen, yep. but, you know, you've got to throw your hat you've in. You've got to give yeah, it a yeah, shot. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and so I was over, over in L.A. again just having a holiday um, because I was coming back to do the Apia tour, yep. which was um, a sort of a two-month or six-week tour with Marsha Hines, Leo Sayer, uh, Russell Morris, um, John Paul Young and uh, Brian Cadd. Mm-hmm. 
And I was on, the, I was sitting on the plane coming back from LA and uh, I was still had Wi-Fi and a message popped up and it was um, one of the guys who uh, did the, one of the Tina Arena tours who they, they were promoting and it just said, hey, um, there's a Michael Bolton tour at the end of, of um, May um, and June, would, would you be able to do it? And I was like, oh, my, yes, I would love to. And then I'm like, oh, no, the Apia tour is, it goes till the end of May. Oh, no, this isn't going to work <laughs> out. And I said, oh, no, I've got this weekend, like the last two gigs are, this, are Friday and Saturday, you know, the whatever of May. And I said, oh, what a bummer. And he goes, he sent me a message back and he goes, it might work out because the first two Michael Bolton gigs are the Thursday and the Sunday. Oh, wicked. <laughs> when does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> when does that happen? All yeah. the first two gigs are a Thursday and a Sunday. Yeah. So yeah. I can finish the tour. And they worked it out that they, they flew me, you know, from, I flew up to the first Michael Bolton gig and then they flew me down to Tassie so I could finish the the you know the Apia tour and mm. then um, and then back to to Michael Bolton land. So Michael Bolton flew you down to. Um, I think I think that there was kind of like some split tickets. So right, okay. yep. one of the instead of going to Sydney, I was flown to Tassie, and instead okay. of flown, yeah. So gotcha. so they they worked it out amongst they worked themselves. It out. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, but oh man, Michael Bolton, what a bloody legend, and he is. Oh my god, he's so funny. Yeah, man, those Audible dot com ads that he's Dude, been doing are so funny. He is the he's one of the driest people I've ever met, <laughs> and I love that that humor just yeah. tickles me. Yeah. So um, he was just hilarious and wonderful, and what a singer! And so he basically he brought the American band over and and then picked up. Uh, it was a symphony kind of um, tour as well. So he had symphony orchestra and he picked up um, th- three Australian backing vocalists, so me and um, Christine and Sharon Musket. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I, 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 seriously, like yeah, what, is, uh, what is my life? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty it – was, it was just, yeah, it was really fun and really great and um, – yeah, it was that was a joy as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, was this around the time that you discovered your cancer? Yeah. Do you know what? So I spent all of like the beginning of last year. You know, I did the I did the chisel thing. I was doing some stuff with Jimmy Barnes, Anthony Kalia, Tim Campbell, David Campbell. Um, yeah, and then the Apia tour, and went to LA, and blah blah blah, and then the Michael Bolton tour. And um, so I'd been on the road for two months straight, like all of May, all of June. Mm -hmm. And it was the 20, I think it was the 28th of May was the last gig. So the 29th maybe was the the next day. And I was pretty tired because we, it had been two months of just constant touring. And and it's, it's not often that we do big tours in Australia that are that long because, you know, it's usually just capital cities and then you're done. But I'd basically not really been home for for quite a while, maybe a couple of days and change clothes and repack um, here and there. And then so it was, I was really shell-shocked. When, when we came home, I was like, oh, what am I – like it's great to be home but I just – I love being on the road. It's yep. my favourite thing in the world. I, I, some people don't like it but I love waking up in a hotel and just, you know, and then where are we going now? It's yep. like, you know. Um, 
And I was just lying on, on my bed. I was pretty tired and I was pretty bummed out to just kind of, you know, post tour blues. And my neck was sore and I was just kind of rubbing my neck and, and rubbing my, my top of my chest and then, and then my little finger felt something and I went, what, what's that? And, um, yeah, it was a lump and I was like, whoa. It was literally the day after touring finished, so right at the end of June. And I knew that it would be nothing because, of course, it will be nothing, but I called my GP immediately and booked in the next day. And I saw her the next day and she was like, yep, there's definitely a lump there. And she said, look, we'll we'll send you for ultrasound biopsy. And um, so... We waited, waited till the Monday to do that because she said not to see the weekend people, <laughs> especially for a biopsy. She's yeah, like, right. we want to get one of the real, like, not that the weekend doctors, I understand, are, you I know, understand. you want to yeah. see the, the nine to five yeah, that's awesome. clinical guys. Yeah. So, yeah, so on the Monday I went for the biopsy, well, the mammogram ultrasound and then the, yeah, the, the, the doctor came in and he's like, hmm, well, this lump over here that I didn't even know was there, he's like, that looks benign-ish. But he used the word benign-ish and I'm like, he's like, but, and then he goes, but I'm a bit worried about, like, want to see this one. And I'm like, that doesn't sound good. I don't like the sound of that. And I'm like, but it's going to be, it'll be nothing. It'll be nothing. It'll be nothing. It'll be nothing. And then um, a few days later, no, nah, it's not nothing. It's cancer. And I was just like, but I'm too young, aren't I? And the doctor was like, yeah, you're young, but you're not too young. She's like, yeah, so... And then it was just like, oh, my God, what happens now? And then... Where where were you? I was... Well, I was here, so... Yeah, my doctor was just up the road and um, so here being Bondi. Um, And, I mean, it was well-timed in that I was home and didn't have any travel plans for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, and I had been wondering what I was going to do for the rest of the year, so oh, that shit. took care of that. <laughs> oh, shit, man. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so it was just then, it was just the whirlwind, of course. Um, funnily enough, so that I got the diagnosis on, on the Thursday and then on Friday morning I went off to Wagga, no, to Dubbo to do a gig with Tim Campbell. And I just, I've actually, t- I've talked to Tim and, and the guys in the band about that since because we, we did a gig together in December as well and Tim I, I'm good friends with so I, I clued him in but mm-hmm. just not that next day. It was like literally the day after diagnosis. And I just remember turning up at the airport with those guys and I was just in a just daze. Like I was going to ask, what, what's, what's the headspace there? Just a daze. How, how can, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just amazed you could have got yourself out to do that. Yeah, well, it was just it was just weird because I just had no idea. And I remember being in the hotel room uh, before sound check and just kind of I was on the phone to the specialist office and I was asking questions. Can't remember what questions I was asking, but I was definitely, you know, just trying to find out information about something and maybe what the follow-up tests were going to be and and then I was on YouTube um, looking for girls going through cancer treatment and what is it and what happens and, you know, why and blah, blah, blah. And I found this one girl's videos and I just consumed as many of her videos as I could, just going, what, what, is, what am I in store for? And, um, and then, yeah, basically you had to just wait, wait out the weekend, do my gigs, show up at my gigs. I told all, all my band knew on the first day. 
Um, and, um, yeah, and then I waited to tell my dad until I got back from Dubbo because I just didn't want to break the news to him on the phone or or while I was dropping my dog off um, when I went to Dubbo. And right. so it was just – that was probably the hardest thing was telling my dad, you know. Because and, and where's he? He's in Mossman, so okay, okay. he's just across the bridge. But um, – yeah, but you know, he he saw my mum go through um, breast cancer, and right. she she fought for eight years. Okay, um, but she died in ninety one. So, you know, I just I was like, oh god, he's just he's going to be absolutely devastated. But he was, it was funny. He kind of he when I told him, he said, "Wow, you've you've had that cloud kind of hanging over you, haven't you?" You know. So it wasn't – I don't think it was that – I've asked him since. I'm like, did you expect or did you think that that would happen? And he said, oh, it's not that he thought it would happen but I think he just, you know, I'm his daughter and uh, uh, even though even though I've been t- – I've had my genetic testing done and I don't have the BRCA gene which they know yep. is a breast cancer link um, but they've, they have said that they, they are aware that there must be some other kind of genetic – Component, but they just don't know what it is yet. Right. Um, so I think Dad inherently maybe was just it was probably in the back of his mind. I mean, it was probably in the back of my mind. That's why I didn't. I was going to. That's what I was going to ask you next. Did yeah. You, did you think maybe someday? Well, look, yeah, I thought that Mum or late or later on. Yeah, Mum was diagnosed in. Um, when she was 45. So I kind of had in the back of my mind when I'm 45, I'm going to start paying, you know, really close attention okay, okay. and make sure I get screening and okay. all of that kind of stuff. But I was like, oh, I'm not there yet. It's fine. Mm. It's fine. It won't happen to me. And if it's going to happen, it's won't, I'm years away from that. Mm. I don't need to worry yet. Mm-hmm. So but it was obviously in the back of my mind because, man, the moment I found that lump, bang, I was right. doctor next day, don't yep. mess around. Yep. And I'm just hoping that um, that everyone is like that with any lump or something that doesn't feel right. right. You know, I just I think everyone should just get whatever checked out and it'll be nothing but just check it out just in case yep. because that's prob- that being so quick and proactive has probably saved my life. If I'd left it for like a few months, we, it might be a really different, you know, conversation. Right. Right. Um, I'm sure I would have. It would have been the same kind of treatment, etc. But um, you know, they they cut out a a, a tumor that was the size of a capsule. Right. Okay. You know, like a, a pill capsule. Right. That's, that's what how big it was. Um, but it was super aggressive. Oh right. Yeah. So it was. Um, it was like after the the surgery. You know, you you get a call. Like you're supposed to see the surgeon um, two weeks after surgery just to go through the pathology and the test results, etc. And um, six days before I was due to see the surgeon, I got a call from the receptionist going, "Hi, Natasha. We're just wondering, could you come in today?" Oh, oh, fuck, that's yeah. not good. Is no, that what you're thinking? Yep, I just I rang back and I said, Shit. that sounds ominous. And they're like, oh, they probably just got the test results. I'm like, yeah, you don't call people in. For Six the, days the, early. Yeah, for good results. Hey, you passed. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, so it came back, the pathology. I didn't even know there were different types of breast cancer. I, you know, it's all it's a whole new world really. Right. Um, but, yeah, mine came back as triple negative, which um, is not good. It's like a really aggressive um, cancer. And the good news is it responds really well to chemotherapy. So they believe that like even even when they took the tumour out, they, they like I had precancerous cells. Um, 
um, left it at, like in the margins of what they took the of the what they took out. Um, but um, yeah, so it was just like there's no question you're doing chemotherapy and there's no sort of targeted stuff. There's other other cancers have targeted things that you you can kind of stay on for five to ten years. Okay. But triple negative, there's there's no targeted um, stuff. So it's kind of like uh, the the oncologist. The oncologist used an analogy that you know you could have like a, a it could be a um, a docile dog, like a massive dog that's docile, um, and he's like yours is a a really aggressive chihuahua, and he's like but at least it's not a really aggressive pit bull. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So he's like, we just got to shut this down. Right. And I was like, right, sign me up. What do I need to do? You yep. know. So, um, so that was twenty weeks of chemo. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I first contacted you to 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 do this. Yeah. I think you were week two in. Yeah. Right. And, and you're I... like, you're like, yeah, I'm I'm cool. I'm I'm into it. You know. And I think we, yeah, we were looking at some dates, and then I think a couple of weeks after that, yep. I think the, the side effects and, and yep. the fatigue and all that. Yep. And we're like, no, nah, let's, let's yes. put this off. <laughs> yeah, I definitely appreciate your... Oh, no, no, look at no, you. Oh, no, 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 but it's, it was that thing that I, I kind of, I really, I realised after, well, after the first, second treatment, um, it was just a matter of focusing on what were going to be my absolute priorities for that week yep. and that's all I that's, do. That's, a, that's yeah. all you do. So, yep. And, uh, you know, it was amazing. I, I managed to do a ton of gigs with my band. Yep. I did Richard Clapton's gig at the Enmore Theatre. Yep. I recorded David Campbell's Christmas special. Yep. Um, I did some vocal sessions. I actually did a lot of vocal sessions, right. which was amazing, you yep. know, yep. sort of out of the blue, some jingles and some some work on Jimmy Barnes' album and we did a George Benson album as well. Yeah, what about, what about that? I know. I mean, come on. Did, did, you, did you get to meet him though? No, no. Okay. Um, Kevin Shirley, who is an Australian who is a – uh, I mean, if you look at his – resume of yep. things that he's produced and engineered. It's just ridiculous. Yep. Um, and he has a studio in Malibu and right. Nashville and uh, Sydney. Okay. And um, he recorded all of the Benson album in Nashville but was back in Australia and and um, put uh, – I think because he's done a lot of stuff with Jimmy as well. Yep. Um, Mahalia was kind of his first call. So uh, Prinny Stevens and, and myself and Mahalia did the backing vocals for right. a George Benson album. That's so, so cool. We didn't is, get is to, that, yeah. is that out? Yeah. Well, I, I noticed there's a track on um, – there's a track up on YouTube, so I'm gonna have okay. to. Nadine, one of the ones, is is up so far. Okay, um, but I'll have to. I have to. I'll, I'll find check it. I'll it. find it and I'll link it in the show yeah. notes of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. Mm. I mean, what fun! And it's a, another thing where you just go, "How is this happening?" Yeah, I know. I know. So, so yeah, I worked. I worked a lot. I worked as much as I could and um, I even got to go down to, to Melbourne on, on my birthday weekend, which was um, November 30th and the 1st of December. So I was kind of – I was three, three months into treatment at that point and yep. – um, but worked with Tim Campbell, did two gigs with him and yep. and it was kind of – it was it was sort of after um, – it was only really the last five weeks of the 20 that I, I really started getting affected badly by the chemo – Vocally, I would. I, would, that's, I was going to ask. Did 
Did, yeah. did it have any effect on your voice at all? Yeah, at first I was smashing it, like yeah. vocally. Uh, Mahalia laughed because she's like, I said, oh, maybe it's the steroids I'm on, but it was not the steroids. They, they have no effect. There's some steroids that are good for your voice. Right. These ones had absolutely no effect. But I was like, but my voice is so good. And she's like, she said, it's probably because you're not having any coffee or alcohol. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my yeah, God, that is exactly right. what it is. Damn right. it. Right. I <laughs> oh, see so you had to stop drinking coffee. Well, yeah, because... Because I was, I had the worst reflux. Oh, okay. uh, so, yeah, the chemo and the the steroids and the combination of everything just it it uh, it strips the like it kind of your mouth, the lining of your mouth, the stomach lining, your intestinal lining, just any anything, any kind of soft mucule. I don't know if that's the right word, but just all of those membranes um, get affected. And at first, I was smashing it, could it like, and just was just so determined to keep working because it was the one thing that made me feel okay. Because yep. you know, you put makeup on in a wig, and no one knows you're sick. Yep. So I'd go out into the world, and I would just be treated. Normal, the normal punters would yell play horses at me and, you know, <laughs> and um, and I was with my band and, you know, the guy, it was just so good to be with the guys and just feeling like a normal human. Yep. Um, and weirdly still quite protected because you're not, it's not like you're just out in the, in the world. You're on stage and you go, the guys, and you just, I don't know, there's some, some weird comfort about being on stage. It feels like a really safe place to be. Yep. Um, so, but, yeah, there, there was sort of mid-December, um, so, yeah, three and a half months in, I um, maybe even a little bit more, but, yeah, I, I really started... I started just down the downhill as far as I got a little virus and that just wiped me out. Right. Um, and then it just the vocal recovery after that was just so hard because my vocal cords were fine um, but just that first attack of all of the, the chemo and I was getting it weekly. So the first three days I would basically have – very little voice, not be able to sing. And then sort of by this fifth and sixth day, my voice would come back. But on on the eighth day, <laughs> back into the chemo chair. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, so I basically had to give it up. Although right at the end, I um, the very last chemo treatment I had, I um, the very next day I did rehearsals for um, an Australia Day gig and an, yep. yeah, an Australia yep. Day lunch and I just really, I was just so determined to do something really great to kind of put a massive book bookend on the whole treatment and um, I, it was pretty crazy to do. To do that was the, the opera house thing. Yeah, yeah. so yep. the opera house thing was the, the week after treatment but the, the first thing that was kind of tied in was like an Australia Day lunch. So right, I had gotcha. my last treatment on the Wednesday, had the rehearsal for this lunch the next day, did the lunch the day after that and then the Australia Day thing was the, the following week. So, right. um, But, yeah, it was, it, was re- it, was just, it was just so nice to do something and feel, feel like it was just like a big double finger and a fuck you to <laughs> excuse the swearing. No, but just, just to go, yeah, fuck that treatment and fuck you cancer. Yeah, like you can't, you can't have me, you know. Yeah, so awesome. that was, I was very determined and I was just, it was just a really, it was very, for, for me, very cathartic and very happy way to just put a bookend on all that and go see you later. That's great. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I really appreciate you talking about it today oh, too. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, yeah. it's just, I mean, it's a weird thing and it's, it's um, I think that, that was the other thing that I was so grateful for because I was really scared about coming out, so to speak, with the whole with the whole diagnosis because the one thing that I didn't want was for people to treat me differently yep. or or for people to go, oh, she's sick, we better not hire her for anything. And, um, well, it's just, oh, I, shit, yeah. well, you know, you just don't know. You don't know, yeah. You don't know if people go, oh, we're not going to give her any gigs because She might not if, be able to pull it yeah, off or. Yeah, 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 all <sighs> of that stuff. So, so um, but I almost got the opposite, you know, my band kept going and if if there were gigs that I couldn't do we would put in a fill in and um and there's a lot of great singers around so we were we had great people fill in when I couldn't do a gig if I was too sick and also you know people did keep calling me people um so it wasn't I was just yeah that was the thing that I was most afraid of was that that would be you know the end of my career for six months but it was it was really not so right. yeah I feel very blessed that um that people had faith in me and also that I was able to to do the job you yep. know yeah because yep. I'm very uh, yeah yeah oh, I could tell <laughs> clearly yeah and yeah. so where are you now percentage wise um well, last weekend was the first week I did two back-to-back three-set oh, okay, covers yep. gigs. Yep. Um, so, and I pulled up pretty well. Okay. I pulled up pretty well. I I was definitely feeling it the second day. Um, but, yeah, I had no problem. Like, I didn't lose my voice. I, I managed to do it. I kept the energy up for both gigs. And the weeks before that I'd just been doing sort of – it was quite lucky that I had a run of backing vocal gigs, which okay. – not that they're easy. I know what you're saying. Yep. It's not singing three you got, sets. You've got a of, bit of space. Yeah, yeah three yeah. sets of power, like club music to try and get people dancing is, yep. is a different call. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I feel more and more confident, especially after last weekend. And then this weekend, I've got another two gigs, and I feel confident that I, I'm just, just building that, that strength. And also, I'm really starting, I can feel this last week. I mean, they say sort of after a month after you've been off chemo, your skin starts to kind of recover and you're like I've got, yeah, two millimetres of eyelashes coming in. I can almost see some eyebrow hair. Yeah. Um, So um, and there's other hair growing, which I never thought I'd be excited about, but I really am. That's cool. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so it's just it feels like the the body is starting to rejuvenate. And it's almost starting fresh. So I'm confident that from here on in, you know, all of my, you know, the mouth and the the t- stomach will heal and, yep. and just get stronger and stronger. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so I've, I'm feeling energy's not there, but um, but I can certainly pull out the stops for a three-hour gig. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Fantastic. And plans for the next six to 12 months? Yep. So I'm having, I am having one more surgery in a month and a half. Okay. And um, I, because the margins of the when they took out the tumor, there were there were precancerous cells right up to the edges of the tissue that they took out. So right. there would have been another surgery regardless. And the surgeon said he can just shave a little bit more out. And I was like, you know what? It's triple negative breast cancer. My mum died from it. I don't want to take any risks. I know that I'm not genetically positive for that particular mutation, but who knows what else is happening. So, yep. so I have decided to get um, double mastectomy and, okay. and recon. Um, so that'll be the the 
one final surgery in April and then no radiotherapy because I'm doing that. So that's a positive as well. Great. Don't have to radiate my body. Yep. Um, and then, um, yeah, after that, just gig, 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 gig yep. And then yep. I'm still planning on getting my US visa. Yep, so, doing the US thing. Yeah, and even if it ends up being just a three-month sabbatical where I go and hang out in LA and – and not get any gigs, man. Man, you can do whatever have, the f- yeah. do whatever the fuck you want. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's a lot worse places and oh, things man. you could do. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of my twelve month plan, and and hopefully hopefully health stays really good, and yep. I just keep getting better and better and stronger and stronger, and and yeah, just live my life. It certainly makes you realise that you do only live once, and just do everything that you want to do and have fun and say yes to all the good stuff and when something you don't want to do comes along, you just say no. <laughs> That's it. Good on you. Yeah. Well, um, this has been incredibly inspiring. Oh, um, thank you. And again, thank you for, for talking with me. Yeah, well, thank yep. you so much for your time and I hope I was, I'm a little bit uh, tangent girl. No, no, but, no, no, um, no. It's what it's all you. about. I'm, yeah, no, no, no. It's, you're fantastic. Um, yep, thanks again, Natasha. No worries, thanks, And um, Yeah, we'll, we'll talk soon. Yeah.